Welcome to Hot Topics in Kidney Health, brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation. Join us as we highlight the latest in kidney research, bring you up-to-date news in kidney care, dispel myths, and answer questions to help people with kidney disease or a transplant live well. As a kidney patient, you most likely know your estimated glomerular filtration rate, or EGFR, and that it's a way to check how well your kidneys are working. In the past, some medical calculations, including a way to measure EGFR, included race in their estimates. But in September of 2021, NKF and the American Society of Nephrology announced that their joint task force recommended a new race-free approach to measuring EGFR. What does this new equation mean for patients, especially those who identify as Black or African American? In this episode, you'll hear from two members of the task force, Dr. Malika Mendu, Executive Medical Director of Clinical Operations and Assistant Professor at Harvard Medical School, as well as a kidney patient, Glenda Roberts. Hi, I'm Dr. Malika Mendu. I'm a nephrologist at Brigham and Women's Hospital, and I'm also a clinical researcher and administrator And most recently, I've been a task force member on the National Kidney Foundation American Society of Nephrology EGFR Task Force. And I'm joined today by my colleague, friend, fellow task force member, Glenda Roberts. Hello, Dr. Mendu, and hello, everyone. I am Glenda Roberts, and I'm a person living with kidney disease. It was my honor to serve on the task force, most importantly, because I've lived with kidney disease for more than 50 years, and I've watched it progress over time. I'm also the Director of External Relations and Patient Engagement at the Kidney Research Institute at the University of Washington. And I'm glad to be here today with you, Dr. Mandu. So some patients may be aware that for more than a year, the National Kidney Foundation and the American Society of Nephrology sponsored a task force that looked at the question of reassessing kidney function based on the inclusion of race. And Dr. Mandu and I were both members of that task force. And so Dr. Mandu, I'd like to start off by asking you, what is EGFR and why was that important? Yeah, it's such an important question and thank you, Glenda. So EGFR stands for Estimated Glomerular Filtration Rate. And it is just that, it's an estimate of how well the kidney is functioning, specifically actually the glomerulus, which is one of the key physiologic components of the kidney. It is our best means of estimating kidney function in a quick manner. The more accurate ways and or more precise ways to measure kidney function are actually called measured glomerular filtration rate. But those processes take quite a while And we can't get more immediate results as we can get with estimated GFR. And so what we do to calculate the estimated GFR is look at markers like creatinine, which is a commonly obtained test as part of oftentimes a basic metabolic panel, which is a test that your doctor might order, your primary care doctor or nephrologist or other specialist. Um, They're routinely ordered. And then using that creatinine number, we calculate the estimated GFR. And that GFR gives us a sense of what someone's kidney function is doing overall and whether or not, for example, they have kidney disease or whether they don't have kidney disease. 
And if you do have kidney disease, what degree of kidney impairment do you have or kidney dysfunction do you have? Um, is it mild? Is it moderate? Or is it more severe? And actually, more importantly than just the one value is actually being able to track that glomerular filtration rate over time to see if, for example, uh, over the course of a year, if it's worsened. And using that type of information, we can make decisions about whether or not a patient should be treated for their kidney disease, whether that's with medications to slow the progression of kidney disease, whether that's medications to treat complications related to the kidney disease, or in the more severe types of kidney disease, whether we should consider starting a kidney replacement therapy like transplant or dialysis, which is a type of uh, treatment that is offered to patients whose kidneys we say have failed. So that number is very, very important to patients and of course to providers and nephrologists mostly who are using that number to make decisions about what type of care to provide their patients with kidney disease. Before we go on, let me ask you, is the EGFR important in other areas of medicine or is it just relevant to the kidneys? Yeah, it's, it's a great, great question. Um, so it's absolutely very important to other areas of medicine. So we think about it a lot for our kidney disease patients, but the reality is almost every group of me in medicine is using this number to help guide, for example, prescribing medications. Many medications are filtered or excreted by the kidneys. And as a result, we need to take into consideration kidney function when we're prescribing medications or dosing medications. So for that reason, it, it, it's very important. In addition, we often consider when a patient is getting a type of imaging test, whether that's a CT scan with uh, contrast or even an MRI with more gadolinium-based agents, we look at the GFR to assess whether it may be safe or whether we need to adjust administration of contrast agents based on the GFR. So it really touches upon many areas of medicine. And as I said, that basic metabolic panel, it's obtained in, in almost every patient. And so for that reason, understanding and having real guidance across the country, across the world even, for all of our patients, regardless of whether they have kidney disease or not, um, is so critical, which I think is why the NKF and ASN were very dedicated to having this task force to try to answer this question of what, what is the best way of measuring, uh, estimating, and ultimately displaying the value of estimated GFR. You know, that makes a lot of sense especially as a patient. And when we look at some of the discussions that are going on in society about race and medicine, and you look at how important EGFR is in all of medicine, then it makes sense that ASN and NKF started this task force. And, you know, as a patient, I have to tell you, there was one other patient who also participated, Curtis Warfield. And one of the things that we found was that it was very helpful that we were able to engage in the discussion with you and other healthcare professionals to provide the patient perspective on what EGFR means and what kidney disease means and what the renal replacement therapies mean in terms of making life better for all of us. 
So we we've made a recommendation as a task force. Would you elaborate a bit on what the three primary aspects are of that recommendation? What's so critical for everyone to know, and of course, Glenda, you were very integral and instrumental and just want to again emphasize the fact that you and Curtis as patients played such a critical role for us on the task force by lending that patient voice and patient perspective consistently through the process and marrying that with the evidence that we were reviewing, the signs we were reviewing from many venues in the United States, outside of the United States, on nephrologists, non-nephrologists, and many different types of researchers, whether that was clinical researchers, epidemiologists, basic scientists. And so having those diverse perspectives, but most importantly, the, the patient perspective was so critical in us coming to these recommendations. So as you said, Glenda, there are three recommendations. The first is an immediate recommendation, meaning that all health systems, all laboratories should immediately adopt the approach of using the uh, CKD-EPI refit equation that utilizes creatinine, but does not use a race modifier. This equation was recently published by Dr. Inker, who's also a task force member in the New England Journal of Medicine. And essentially, it is again part of the CKD-EPI study group. It, it utilizes a, a similar methodology, but it included data from, from more groups than the original study. And they took a race-free approach to calculating estimated GFR. And so that is what we're recommending as a task force to be implemented immediately. And I think what's very notable about this approach is number one, it does not include race, which is um, something that all of us on our on the task force did agree was important. And two, it is it is based in very sound science, having been conducted very rigorously by the CKD Epi uh, research team that has a longstanding history evaluating uh, estimated GFR equations. The second recommendation is to expand the use of cystatin C. And what cystatin C is, is it's a biomarker, just like creatinine is a biomarker. Um, and all that means is it's, it's something that we can use that the body produces to measure uh, as a proxy how well kidney function is. And so cystatin C has been around actually for many years and many health systems, my own at Brigham and Women's Hospital, we've been using it now for a long time, but it has not been universally adopted. And so what we are encouraging is that cystatin C be used as a confirmatory test for EGFR, particularly if there are going to be clinical decisions made. For example, if you're going to be stopping a medication or referring a patient for, or not referring a patient for nephrology care or a transplant, to use that as a confirmatory test is quite important so that we're not relying on one measure of GFR, which again, it's an estimate. So there is potential error and we wanna make sure that patients get the care that they need in a timely way. Um, we also talk in the uh, task force recommendations about other equations separate from CKD-EPI. For example, the uh, cystatin-based eGFR equation and a combined creatinine and cystatin eGFR equation, which interestingly enough, there was also a New England Journal uh, a Medicine article that was published in the same issue as Dr. Inker's paper 
that showed that it was it performed excellently in terms of bias and accuracy. So we are encouraging the adoption of, of that as well over time, as we know that labs and health systems are going to need time to make sure they can order cystatins and run cystatins and then be able to educate providers about how to use that test. And then the third recommendation is around the fact that we need more research and um, education, but particularly research in this space to make sure that we continue to look at this question of how we're estimating GFR and that we're doing so accurately and without any bias and also to continue research efforts in the area of healthcare disparities, where we know, particularly for patients with kidney disease, there are major socioeconomic disparities. And so I would say this is just the, the start of this process, um, but, but really exciting to be able to offer these three recommendations. You mentioned that there was going to be education, and we both know that the National Kidney Foundation is sponsoring education for the community and for the healthcare community, which they're starting to roll out. And I think that's very useful. But I think that the audience will be interested to know that we looked at 26 different formulas before we made a decision about which one to recommend. Can you explain to our audience why we thought this particular formula was better than all of the others that we considered? That is a very key point, and we do summarize that in the task force, which is we share the 26 other equations that we considered. And when we considered these equations, we first wanted to look at any equation that has been published to estimate GFR because we wanted to be fair and as scientific as possible in terms of looking at what are the equations that are available and let's compare how first they perform from a, a purely statistical perspective in terms of bias, accuracy, and precision. Those are some terms that we use in epidemiological science to talk about how an equation might perform compared to what we consider to be a gold standard. That was one of the, what we called attributes that we looked at is how does the equation perform? Then another attribute was how, what are the consequences if we use this equation? So even if we say it performs very well, if there are any potential downstream consequences to a certain group that could result in a disparity or cause a disparity or exacerbate a disparity, then we need to evaluate that and know about it and think about then whether this is the right equation. And then we looked at a couple of other attributes like impact on research studies and impact on population tracking. So all of those attributes were looked at for each equation. And where we settled is with the CKD epi refit equation, because what we, what we saw is that when we looked at all of the attributes, that this equation did the best in terms of performance as an equation compared to the gold standard, in terms of mitigation of any consequences, adverse consequences to patients, and in terms of some of those other attributes. And finally, one of the key pieces is the patient perspective. You know, we relied, as you know, Glenda, on you and Curtis to really be able to inform that patient perspective for each of these equations. How do we feel patients are going to feel about 
the use of this equation and what are some of the consequences that we might otherwise be missing if we don't have that patient voice. And so it was a very rigorous process. As you know, we spent many Fridays <laughs> going through all of the data, having very fruitful and engaging discussions, I'll say, about the various approaches and took several months. But I, what was really nice is that we did all at the end of the day have consensus on this, yeah. on this equation. You know, that was actually very exciting because when we started the process, we all came in with our perspectives based on our experience, whether it was professional or our personal experiences, patients, and we weren't all aligned initially. But over the year of discussing all of the various things that we considered, I think that we all developed a better understanding of everyone else's perspective. And I think that was useful in terms of helping us arrive at a consensus because we got to the point that we could not only make each other's arguments, we could align them with what was important for patients as well as what was important to ensure that the results would be scientifically rigorous. And we did an exercise around values and evidence. And that I think was the exercise that really started to bring us together because we realized in that process that we were really all aligned in terms of all of the values and all of the evidence. And so we started to look at our particular perspectives in that light, which I think helped us to get to the solution. You know, and as a patient, when I looked at the old equation that included the race modifier, it actually elevated my EGFR by 16%. And yeah. what that meant was that it delayed my ability to get on the transplant list by as much as two years. So when we look at this new equation, what does that mean for patients? And thank you for sharing your experience, Glenda, and your and your story. And I have to say, I learned a lot in this process from so many, but I learned the most from patients you know, hearing your story, hearing Curtis's story. We had sessions where patients were able to share their experience. We had a whole session and it was very moving and it was very notable. And of all of the things that have left a mark on me, that for sure was the most indelible because it's only through hearing from the patients that you can really understand how to move practice in a way that's patient-centered. So, you know, what this new equation means for patients is a couple things. One is, I'm really proud of the nephrology community. And I think, again, this is a broad community. It's not just nephrologists, it's patients, it's patient advocates, it's researchers, it's policymakers, it's anybody who touches kidney care on a regular basis. For being one of the first groups in medicine to take a stand and, and move forward and say, we're not going to have an algorithm, an equation that uses race. There is too much risk for bias. And there's, there's a message that we're sending that doesn't feel right to patients, to most people who, you know, brought forward these issues. And I have to give credit to the medical students and the trainees, many of which I know at the University of Washington, Glenda, many of your medical students helped raise attention about this issue. So I think that's first and foremost is moving forward as a society in nephrology and saying we are not going to have a race-based approach. And I think that that speaks volumes. And I hope for patients, 
it it makes it clear to them that they have confidence that their nephrologist, their primary care provider, that they're not going to be looking at their kidney function or their kidney care in any way that, you know, takes race into consideration that could introduce some kind of bias or negative consequence. Um, so that's number one. Number two is that we are able to, with this equation, mitigate some of those adverse consequences that we were concerned about. So, you know, our research team at Brigham, we had published a paper very early on in this process where we raised real concerns around this transplant issue, just to your point, Glenda, which is that, you know, when we looked at the care we were providing and the use of the race multiplier, what we found is that first off, we were impacting a lot of patients by the use of the race multiplier. So 33% of our patients who self-identified as African-American or Black were having their kidney function impacted. So that's a large number. And two, when we looked at those patients who met our traditional cutoff of a GFR of 20, we had 64 patients who had not been referred to, to for transplant, that if they hadn't had that race multiplier use, they would have been referred for transplant. And that raised a lot of concern. And that went all the way up to the very highest levels of our of our leadership, all the way up to the CEO of our, of our health system. Um, and she and others said, this doesn't feel right, doesn't sound right, we shouldn't do it. So, you know, that's just one example. But I think what patients should have confidence in is now they are going to be referred in a way that is not going to be based on some kind of race multiplier, race adjustment. It's going to be one equation for everybody. And I think the use of the cystatin is also critical because, you know, whether you're Black or South Asian like me, where, you know, we don't have a lot of data, we will have now a confirmatory test so that we're not relying on one GFR based on a creatinine where frankly, there are many racial groups, you know, Native Americans, that's another important group where we know there are major disparities. We don't have a lot of data on that patient population. And so I think really the new equation coupled with the statin C, which will give us more information, is the right direction to mitigate disparities moving forward for patients. So Dr. Mendu, I really appreciate the fact that you mentioned the various people that were on the committee, especially the pharmacists, because many patients are concerned that this new formula might have an impact on their medication and medication dosing. Yes, it's an important point. We were very lucky to have uh, Wendy St. Peter's as an expert in pharmacy science be part of our task force. And she brought her wealth of experience to our assessment of these equations and their potential impact on medication prescription and medication dosing. And so when we talked about those consequences for each of the equations we evaluated, she looked at the medication consequences, whether that was starting a medication, whether that was stopping a medication, whether that was redosing a medication, and how do these equations perform relative to that? And what she guided us on, and there was there was consensus around, is that the CKD epi refit of all of the equations we considered performed the best when it came to helping guide prescription patterns. And so we can feel confident that the CKD epi equation is a direction we need to move in when we're considering medication prescription and dosing. That being said, the use of the C is still very important, particularly if you're 
thinking about making a, a major decision like starting or stopping a medication, it is helpful to get the cystatin C because again, it is one estimate if you used uh, one equation. Now, when we look at the CKDFE equation, patients want to know how it's going to impact them. Will it have a greater impact on those with a low level of EGFR or those with a higher level EGFR? What does the data tell us? The reality is that at a patient level, it could be either. If you have a higher level of GFR, but let's say you're at a cutoff for just having chronic kidney disease, just having more mild kidney disease to more moderate. This equation could help more accurately define what a level of GFR you you have, and especially coupled with the cystatin C. I think that's really the key piece. On the other hand, at the lower levels, one may say that there is more urgency to make sure that we get that GFR right. For example, uh, your example about the transplant referral. So, you know, for somebody who's awaiting a transplant or being considered for transplant, now having an equation that won't potentially result in delay in transplant referral, that's obviously a major consequence. So, you know, I would say at a patient level, it really could be variable, either low or high. Um, If you look at just the numbers of how many patients kind of move, you know, it's probably more towards the higher GFR. But I think for a given patient who's listening to this, the reality is it's going to really depend on where you are, if you're at kind of a decision point or not in terms of your kidney function. So the fact that it depends, does that mean that patients should go out and have their eGFR retested immediately? Or what should patients do right now? I think the most important thing that patients can do is have a conversation with their doctor. Make sure that their provider is informed, whether that's a nephrologist, whether it's a primary care doctor, about the task force recommendations, inquire about um, how the GFR is being calculated, and really have that type of open discussion with their nephrologist or primary care doctor. Thank you, Dr. Mandu. That is an excellent point. You know, one of the things that I discovered as a patient is that if you go to the National Kidney Foundation's website, they actually have a calculator that uses the most recent CKD epi formula. So if a patient knows their creatinine, they can enter their creatinine, their age, and their sex, and it will calculate the EGFR for them using the new formula. One question I want to ask you that's a little bit off point, but I think our audience might be interested. When doctors tell us that we have end-stage kidney failure or end-stage renal disease, end-stage to me sounds like death is next. Could you elaborate on that terminology? Yeah, absolutely. We have traditionally used the term end-stage renal disease, which is just, as you're saying, just not a great term to use. It's vague. It doesn't really capture what's going on. We're now moving more to the kidney failure language, which essentially means that you have significantly reduced kidney function. Your kidneys aren't working at the way they need to be to do some of the basic, basic functions, which means processing fluid, processing key electrolytes like potassium and phosphorus, 
Um, and as a result, we have toxins that are building up in the body. We have electrolytes that are building up and your body isn't able to handle fluid um, as it previously was able to handle. So that's what we mean by that kidney failure, or you might hear end-stage kidney disease, or you might hear end-stage renal disease. What we're fortunate, I would say fortunate, is that we have treatments, unlike, for example, other areas of the body when you have failure or your organ doesn't function, you don't have many options. Whereas with kidney disease, you do. We have transplant, of course, which is the gold standard treatment, home dialysis modalities like peritoneal dialysis. We have home hemodialysis. And then we have in-center hemodialysis. So we have options for patients when they do develop kidney failure. But obviously, we want to do everything we can as nephrologists to try to prevent that if possible. Absolutely. And we know that when we do have kidney failure, that Black people are four times more likely than white people to have kidney failure. So in the context of the work that we've done with the task force, what do you think these task force recommendations mean for the Black community. Thank you, Glenda, for raising that point. And again, want to reiterate that, that patients who self-identify as Black are four times more likely than white patients who self-identify as white to progress to kidney failure. Um, And that is really staggering. Unfortunately, those statistics have not improved over a significant period of time. And it's not just that statistic. It's the statistic that Black patients are less likely to get home dialysis. They're less likely to get a transplant. And they have worse clinical outcomes when it comes to things like high blood pressure and other uh, related complications of kidney disease. And so it raises a question of, of why. And I think what's great about the task force is that there's been a lot of focus on the fact that we need to have equity when it comes to how we're delivering kidney care, but it's not in any way going to be the remedy. It's really just the start of a conversation. And it's an important conversation and it's an important step we're making. But I know everybody on the task force really felt very much committed to this cause of now, okay, now it's the the time to think about how we are actually for the first time able to reduce these disparities. And that really is for myself personally, a call to action to say that, you know, the time is now just as we have made advances in so many areas of medicine, so many areas of nephrology, we need to make uh, strides in this area and get to the root of the causes. And the the causes are multifactorial and it's complex, but a lot of it may be how we deliver care, access to patients, um, how patients are referred. There are social determinants of health that need to be addressed, whether it's transportation to appointments, whether it's um, accessibility to food that is healthy for patients with kidney disease, which it can get very complicated when you have kidney disease. And then what is the right food to eat and navigating through all of that. So making sure that we are building an infrastructure of care delivery that is going to, for the first time, really address and reduce those disparities. I think those are excellent points. And you know, one of the points that we made over and over again in the task force discussion is that race is a social construct. It's not a biological construct. And so by removing it from the equation, we have acknowledged the fact 
that we want to look at biological factors that might impact kidney disease. And all of these next steps are so important in terms of looking at the social determinants of health. This has been a very exciting and stimulating conversation. Is there any last point that you would like to make? Yeah, I would just end on the fact that, again, want to thank you, Glenda, for your participation on the task force, your wisdom, your guidance through this process, and of course, Curtis as well, and really all of the patients who lent their voices to this issue and will continue to lend their voices around the fact that we need to advance kidney disease, we need to address disparities within kidney disease. And as a nephrologist, I want to say thank you because it was your collective voices, Glenda, your participation, Curtis's participation, that really got us to the place that we needed to be to come up with these recommendations. And I'm very hopeful that with that continued voice and that continued advocacy that we're going to move as well in terms of addressing these major disparities in kidney kidney disease. Well, thank you. And I'd like to thank you as well. I, I have to say it was a pleasure to work with you. We really appreciated the patience that you showed as well as the other members of the task force to explain to us in lay terms what you were talking about so that we could be an active participant. And I think that the overall structure that we agreed as a task force to pursue so that we brought in external experts, not only from the patient community, which was very important, but also from the scientific community from the US and around the world so that we did get a broad perspective to try and build consensus and drive adoption of the new approach. Personally, I hope the impact of our work is that more people in the community, especially black people, will start to talk to their doctors about their EGFR, that they will start to ask for an assessment of their kidney function, because we know that black people are disproportionately represented people who have end-stage renal failure. I think it's just important that we start having the conversation, not only in our community, so, you know, if you have a relative that has kidney disease, the family needs to know about it. But in general, I think that people need to start talking with their doctors about their kidney function so that we can get ahead of it and possibly slow the progression and not need dialysis and not need transplants in the future. So thank you very much. And this has been fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Transplant patients have so many things to look forward to and enjoy after getting a transplant. More freedom to travel, more variety of foods to eat, and more energy to do the things they love. Today, we celebrate Freddie Bowling from Kentucky on the first anniversary of his kidney transplant. In his wife's words, Freddie is enjoying the chocolate milk again. Congratulations on being one year kidney strong, Freddie. We want to hear from you. Do you have comments on this episode, suggestions on future topics or guests? Is there a kidney hero in your life that you'd like to honor? Email us at nkfpodcasts at kidney.org. Make sure to subscribe, review, and share our podcast with others. Thank you again for listening. We hope you join us next time. Until then, from all of us at NKF, we wish you good health.